Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Agus Balding, hanging out with you all. We are pressing on. We're going to finish up chapter 5 of Amos today. And so let's jump right in. This is Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 27. Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 27. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Is it darkness and not light? As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sukkoth, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourself, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. We are entering a new section of Amos, I like to call, whoa, uh, because that's that's really the heading title that you're going to see over and over again. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And I think it's probably obvious from the context here, but you do not want God to say woe to you. Uh, this is a, a, a tool used in the literature to heighten the emotion, to say this is an incredibly grievous thing. It's not just like, hey, bro, why don't you take a seat? It's like, bro? One more step, and there's going to be a real problem here. It's a ratcheting up of the language. And it's really interesting. We have in this woe to you, this first one, he talks about the day of the Lord. And we, we're going to have to camp out on this a little bit. Uh, how about that for a Christian term? Camp out here for a little bit. So get your sleeping bags, folks. Uh, anyways, we are going to hang out, camp out, sleep out, under the stars, whatever, on day of the Lord. Because it's really important that we understand this day of the Lord term, because it it occurs multiple times throughout the prophets. It's going to occur, especially in the book of Joel. Um, and it's also a day that uh, could have, it's sort of like a diamond, depending on where you look at it, it can reflect different light and look a little bit different. So we've got to talk about that. So this first woe to you. If you remember back in earlier in chapter five, in verse 14, it says, seek good, not evil, so that you may live and I will be with you as you say that I am. So there's this understanding. The Israelites, they think because, and most likely because of their ethnicity, and because God has chosen the Israelites, the Jewish people as a people group, way back in Abraham, we've talked about the history. There has grown this arrogance of we are the people of God. God is with us. Which is crazy, right? Because we keep saying, hey, look, if you're God's people, you should act a certain way. You should be just. You should be right. Not that. Not only that, like God is sending Amos. Like Amos is trying to be clear to you. Like you're, you're not my people. You're not acting like my people. And yet there is this sense because God chose them out of all the nations in the land that they have special privileges. 
And look, they do. The reality is, is it's a privilege to be a Jewish person. It's a privilege to, as Paul talks about in Romans, they, they have the oracles of God with them. There, there is a real privilege here. Um, but with, with privilege comes responsibility. With election always comes mission. We're not chosen for our sake. Let no one brag. Let no one boast except boast in Christ. Let no one boast except boast in the Lord. We're always chosen by God to partner with him in mission. So they're going around saying, hey, we're with you. And this concept of the day of the Lord is something that they would have looked forward to. Why? Well, the day of the Lord is a day when God comes and deals with oppression. So a good example of the day of the Lord prior to the book of Amos would have been Exodus. There would have been this understanding that when God came and dealt with Egypt in the way that they should have been dealt with, they, they were worshiping foreign gods. They were oppressing the Israelites. They were participating in unjust systems. God came and cleaned house. And that mighty day is a day of the Lord, a day of the Lord's specific visitation. Now, now certainly God is always with us, um, and that's always been true. But there's a special sort of moment, this, this really, uh, and it's cosmic in nature. I mean, he wipes out Egypt. He, he wipes them out, if you think about that. Which, just side note, which tells you it's a good metaphor for when God rescues us out of the slavery of sin. If the the Israelites had crossed back over the the river, the Red Sea, to go back home to Egypt, let's say they were like, I don't want to be with you, Lord, I'd like to go back, their oppressors no longer lived. Like, there would have been, like, they... There, there's no return to the old way because God vanquishes the old way, which is a good metaphor for us. You can't return to your old life once you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because like the, like the Egyptians who have been vanquished, your past oppressive slavery to sin has been vanquished. But that one was for free. That's in another book. Maybe we'll do Exodus someday. But that being said... The day of the Lord is a day of judgment for oppressors, and it's also a day of redemption for those who call on the name of the Lord. It is a a powerful and mighty day. So this is really interesting that God, through Amos, comes to the the northern Israelites and says to them, why why do you think the day of the Lord is going to be a good day for you? It, It is not, again, if the day of the Lord is about oppression, or excuse me, justice against the oppressors, and relief for those who are oppressed, guess what, Israel? You're in the wrong camp. Like you think because you belong to me ethnically, because you are through the seed of Abraham, that you will be spared on this great and terrific day. But what if you're the oppressor? Dun, dun, dun. And so God is making it very clear to them, you have a misunderstanding of what it means to be my people. That's a lot of what he's correcting here in this little section that we have. What does it mean to be the people of God? Certainly, there is benefit to being ethnic Israel. But unless you're participating in spiritual Israel, which is to say you are uh, pursuing the things of God and, and being a participant in God's kingdom ethic, the day of the Lord will not be good for you. And so this concept day of the Lord, like if we just back out and we camp out here for just a second to return to my evangelical catchphrase, this is a day that believers look forward to. And there is one to come. The day of the Lord will also be when Jesus returns in his second coming. So for those who have called on the name of the Lord, we look forward to that. The book of Revelation is not meant to scare us. It's meant to give us a hope for what that good and awful and wonderful day will be. If you are if you are in Christ, if the blood of Christ has paid for your sins, then you look forward to it. And if like the Israelites, you have mistaken what it means 
to be the people of God, then it will not be a good day. And so what does he say about it to them? It is, uh, this is really poetic language. He says, you will not escape it. It's a little bit like the inevitability of the day of the Lord is like the inescapability of darkness. It's coming for you. And the metaphor he gives is almost comical, y'all. Imagine running from a lion, which I imagine would be fairly difficult to do. They seem like an athletic animal. Just my personal take. I do have a zoology degree. Woo-woo, boomer sooner. So yeah, I have a zoology degree. I did study lions for a pretty significant unit of time in my animal behavior course. So what I'm trying to say is I'm an expert here. Uh, And so I'm going to go ahead on a limb here and tell you lions are fast. So let's just say a lion's chasing you and somehow you have gazelle-like speed or maybe you just break off from the pack and find a path another way and you escape the lion and then you meet a bear. Y'all, if it weren't judgment, it'd be hysterical, right? So you finally escape the line, then you meet a bear. And then let's say somehow you like run into the house, you slam the door against it, and you lean your back against it like you do in all the horror flicks. Like, ah, you're breathing heavy, and you're like, oh my gosh, I made it. Oh my gosh, I escaped a line and a bear. This is going on the gram. Oh my gosh. And you like put your hand against the wall to bend over to catch your breath, and a snake bites you. Like, how bad a luck do you have? Or better yet, How much is it inevitable? No, you will face the consequences for this. You can run from the lion. You might be able to outsmart the bear, but that snake's going to get you in the end, which is the inevitability of you think that this behavior of oppressing the poor is somehow going to go unnoticed, and I'm telling you the day of the Lord is coming. But it's not good news for you unless you repent. And so again, this is about what does it mean to be the people of God? So he's telling them, it's not just about your ethnicity. You think I'm with you. And I'm telling you what it means to be my people is that you seek justice and love mercy. And so then he transitions from the inevitability of the day of the Lord to, I hate your feasts. I hate them. So much so he repeats it, I hate, I despise, which tells you there's two Hebrew words under there. Like the extent of his of his derision for their feasts. The ritual by which you come and you attempt to worship me is grievous to me. It's offensive. You think just because you act like you're my people by doing these rituals and these fattened calves and your grain offerings and all that, that somehow we're good and we're not good. I don't, I don't delight in you going through the motions of festivals and sacrifices and all of that when you neglect justice and righteousness. And just a, a quick recap, righteousness is the equity in the land that all the relationships are equitable regardless of class, uh, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, any of that stuff. And then justice is the means by which you're going to restore righteousness. So the actions that you need to take to bring righteousness back in the land, that's what God is calling his people to be, is a land of righteousness. And when there's a mishap, that they would enact justice to bring it back. That's what he wants of them. Your ritual does not negate your oppression. That's what he's saying. You you think you can put your foot on the neck of the poor, but it's okay because you bring me some wheat? What, What do you take me for? And thank God that he's not like that, right? And so this passage, this, this section ends with, hey, listen, these, these offerings that you used to give in the wilderness to these foreign gods, these idols that you have, you can take them into exile with you. And I'm going to take you into exile beyond Damascus. And crazy enough, this is all we talked about. This is being written in about 760-ish B.C., which remember B.C. counts down. So 760 is earlier than 722. In 722 B.C., this happens. 
The kingdom of Assyria comes and takes out northern Israel. I wish we were going to get to the book end of Amos. I know this is total spoiler alert. I wish we were going to get to the end of the book and I was going to be like, and then they repented holy. But that ain't where we're headed. So I'm just going to tell you now, we ain't going that way. And so God is warning them though. He is warning them. He is giving them every opportunity to repent and they do not do it. And so what's our what's our takeaway for this? Um, gosh, God really delights in goodness, not performance. Let me repeat that. God is interested in goodness, not performance. And so I, I went from a non-denominational megachurch in my first post as a, as a full-time minister to now I'm in a more reformed tradition where we, uh, you know, we say either the Apostle of Nicene Creed and we take the Lord's Supper and all that. And people can tend to talk about is one, you know, is one too ritualistic? Is one not ritualistic? Is one too low of you of the church? Is one, and I'm not interested in that debate. What I'm interested in is this conversation that Amos is having with the people of God that I think all of us who call ourselves the people of God have to have. That I think the church today is in just as much danger as Israel was then to think that we can ignore pursuing goodness, reconciliation, loving our neighbor, making sure that we are also seeking the welfare of the city and the flourishing of our neighbors. And, and yet that can easily be dismissed as long as you are ritualistically doing the right things, whether that be tithing, showing up to church on a regular basis, making sure you get your kids to Wednesday night youth group, whatever those rituals that you can insert in place. I think we are in grave danger of the same thing. And it is good news, y'all, that God is more concerned with goodness than performance. It just, it just is. Because the world out there sees the hypocrisy of the church. And by world, I just mean everybody who's not a part of the Christian church or was a part of the Christian church and has since left. And it's easy to want to judge folks who have left the church, but I think that the church needs to turn that microscope around and look at themselves and have a hard look at what's going on. And what I think we have is the opportunity to declare to people, it is good news that God is not concerned with rituals, that he is more concerned about goodness, justice, righteousness, and all of those things. And so forgive us when we have, when we have placed ritual above that, performance above goodness. And this is, this is truly good news. This passage feels harsh. I get that. I mean, woe to you. Come on now. Who wants to hear that? I mean, as a parent, if I ever had a child, I'd be like, woe to you, child. Like that, that would be a different level than get in your room. I, I think, I don't know that I would actually say woe to you, child, but y- you get my point. This though is good news because what if God didn't actually care about goodness? Like, let's flip this around. And what if God was like, yeah, 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 you can run amok of everything. Just make sure you give me my fat. Just give me mine. Give me my fat and calf. Give me my grain offering. Go ahead and pluck your little harp there. Bling, 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 while you put your foot on the, poor, the neck of the poor. That, that would not be a God worth worshiping. It is, in fact, truly and unequivocally good news that God then and now and always is far more concerned about us being the people of God, his representatives, his people on mission with him in this world, going about the kingdom work of sowing seeds of goodness, righteousness, justice, mercy, loveliness, that we would seek the flourishing of the city, the goodness of our neighbors while worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We don't have to compromise on these things. 
And that's good news that that's what God cares about because it's not good news if he only cares about us plucking our harps and bringing our fat and calves. And so here's my just personal question. If you're, it, it, actually, if you are a, a leader of an institution, then I, then I would have you take an institutional look and just say, hey, where has performance been valued over goodness? But just in your personal lives, I, I want you to know and be encouraged that God really cares when something's done to you that's unjust. He does. And if you're not good at the rituals of the church, because some of us, let's just face it, we aren't. We don't have the right language. We don't know how to say, like, let's camp out here like I did. Like I, I remember I, I didn't grow up in the church when I was super young. And so when my friends in high school and college and beyond, like now I'm deeply entrenched in the evangelical. I can talk the talk, okay? But, but when I was young, I couldn't. And people would sing these songs. They'd be like, Father Abraham and many sons. And I'm like, I'm sorry, did we miss the camp where everybody learned these songs? And the answer is, yeah, I did. And so... If, if you feel like sometimes you come to church and you're not sure where you belong and you're not really sure what your role is and you're not really sure how to engage in the performance of church, I've got good news for you. You don't need to learn that stuff. Instead, my encouragement to you is, is to pursue justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God and call others to do the same. And that's what it means to be the people of God. All right. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, God does. Peace.